Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's the Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, a defender made out of cake. Land Rover shop arrests. Ike takes a 26 spare tire road trip. And fix it or replace it. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at The Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook, and Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started. So this week, we've got some news from the world of Land Rovering, uh, not the least to mention a Land Rover made out of cake. We have uh, a little bit of chat around what we're working on in our respective workshops, and then a brand new uh, segment uh, that uh, we like to call a fix it or repair it. And uh, so we'll uh, go through that. So to start off with uh, some news in the Land Rovering world, um, I don't know if you happen to come across it, uh, Ike, but the uh, famous TikTok baker, world famous apparently, is according to this article, uh, has uh, has gone to the uh, measure of uh, creating a Land Rover Defender, the original uh, Defender. I guess are we calling it the classic Defender now? Um, out of cake, uh, completely cake based uh, Land Rover Defender. What do you uh, What do you think? You know, I uh, think it combines two of my great loves in life, which is uh, cake and Land Rovers. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure how successful it was because I wasn't there to try it. But um, uh, I like the concept. I like the concept. I think it was uh, it was made for an event at the Land Rover factory. At least that's what it looks like. You know, it looks like it's in the factory. Was uh, um, and it was supposed to feed two thousand people. At Sully Hole is what I was told. Oh my so it, god! It, it's it's maybe not quite life size, but it's close. It's yeah, it's a big. Close. It's big. Yeah, it's it's sort of like one of the uh, like the Toylanders. Uh, if you've seen like for a small child uh, to have a bed uh, of a, I think they were powered by like a wheelchair motor or something. I don't believe this one has any mechanization. That would be a nice feature for the cake to sort of roll itself out. Uh, interesting side note, the world record for a uh, edible car, I believe, was set recently. The world speed record, also made of cake. Also made of cake? Also was it also a cake. Land Rover? I don't know. It wasn't. No, it no. was some kind of car. I believe it was supposed to be 80% edible. 
And uh, yeah, that that uh, is a recent side note that uh, this triggered this triggered that memory. Did you so, have to then eat the car to prove after you'd set the speed record that it was in fact edible? I don't know if that's the case. Uh, yeah. That also reminds me of the Guinness Book of World Records that I used to read when I was a kid. There was that guy who ate like a car and an airplane and a shopping cart, and he yeah. just like he just cut it up into little pieces and then just eat it over time. And in that sense, every Land Rover is edible, right? Yeah, that's I guess that's a good point. Yeah, if you're that guy, you've got to think, what is that gentleman's gastrointestinal situation? My God, you know what a. I think I think he actually uh, died uh, peacefully, like at like ninety years old. In his sleep from eating too much Panda Express, I imagine, or or something. Yeah, or, yeah, probably. Like, yeah, was too probably bad. choked on a chicken nugget after he ate an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's a tough way to go. Anyways, uh, cake anything underscore uh, Lara uh, Mason is her. Twitter uh, or Instagram. No, it's her Instagram. I'm sorry. If you were interested in checking out other uh, amazing cake uh, creations, uh, she's also created the Land Rover Ingenium Engine, which is a very popular cake. I know that every six-year-old is asking for an Ingenium Engine cake this year. It's so popular. It's Minecraft or an Ingenium Engine. Those are the two things that that every uh, young uh, lad or lass would like uh, on their birthday table, I'm sure. I feel like the shape of engines, like when you pop the hood on a modern car, is becoming more cake-like. So it's it's becoming easier. It's basically just a sheet cake. An engine cake. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I agree. So what else is news this week, Ike? Uh, You know, I think maybe not this week, but perhaps last week, a California man was arrested. He owns a uh, British repair shop uh, specializing i believe in land rovers and he was arrested for having um like a a a cache of firearms and uh, making uh perhaps threatening posts against various government types and uh, they they stormed his place and they found all these weapons and they also found pipe bombs uh 15,000 rounds of ammunition and uh yeah all this crazy stuff he uh he's got his hair dyed looks like a looks like a you know maybe a wild card so uh i i i don't know the whole situation but uh there are some odd folks in the land rover community and uh i should probably that should be a new segment we should just talk about some of the weirdest ones that we some of the weirdest ones indeed yeah i think and then uh, eventually maybe have uh, have them uh, come on and uh, and guest host uh, with us because yeah you know it's funny i have met some of the strangest people uh, present company excluded of course uh, that i know uh, in the world of uh, of land rovering i don't know why that is it's a uh, it's a it's a feature of the make i guess it's an eccentric vehicle, and uh, it definitely draws some eccentric folks. Um, and that's a spectrum, right? Uh, at, on the one end, I would say the strangest person I've ever met was a serial killer. Oh. He, uh, yeah, turned out to be a, a mass serial killer uh, back in Indiana when I lived now, there. Now, did he invite you over for uh, dinner or something, and uh, you only found out uh, later that, uh, uh, or or did you know he was a serial killer when you uh, when you went to see him? 
Well, uh, maybe this is a topic for a, a whole show on on this guy, but uh, essentially, I went to high school with his daughter, and he had a Defender 110 and a classic Range Rover. And uh, at, at so rate, he does have a connection to the world of of Land Rovering, uh, attracting all kinds. Uh, oh, footballers, absolutely. Serial killers, whatever. I, I think he murdered 30 people. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did he use the 110 in the murders, do you know? Uh, uh, I think he uh, he didn't kill them with the 110, if that's right. what you're asking. Right. Yeah, well, but uh, I think he did uh, haul some corpses in that truck, yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, there you go. Huh. And, and it's they... for sale now, if you want uh, to, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Electrical gremlins are the least of your problems with that car. <laughs> yeah, it's Definitely. actual real-life gremlins. Yeah, real. it's actually haunted. Definitely haunted. Yeah, but uh, that 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 is a trip. There's also another fellow I met who was uh, a confidence uh, scam artist guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he uh, traveled all over the United States in a Land Rover and uh, grifted people. That was his deal. And uh, I met him one time, and then I think for about eight years after that, I would get a call like every year and a half from the FBI. You know, oh, we found him. Do you know where he is now? You know, sort of thing. But uh, oh, interesting! Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. It attracts all all kinds, uh, to say uh, the very least. I mean, and you know, not just grifters and serial killers, but of course, uh, you know, famous uh, actors. Kit Harrington famously stole uh, my idea to get married uh, in your uh, Defender. Um, and uh, sure, surely he wasn't the first one. No, no, and I don't think he'll be the last. Uh, and uh, yeah, but he did. He looked good doing it, though. He's. Uh, I, I heard John Larroquette has a series Land Rover. Is that true? Oh, I love John Larroquette. What he's he's not. Is he still acting? What's he up to these days? I I don't think he's retired. I I don't know exactly what he's up to these days. I haven't spoken with him. No. Uh, recently, I wouldn't say. But, uh, yeah, uh, a shop recently called working on John Larroquette's Land Rover wanting some parts. Um, I had to be the bearer of bad news, though. He thought it was a 55 and it was a 1960, so... Uh, oh. Oh, that's a big difference. It, it Yeah, kind of a big difference there. But, uh, uh, yeah, one more reason to like John Larroquette. Oh, yeah. And who, I mean, who needed more reasons? But uh, but there you have it. Well, that's great. So, Ike, speaking of uh, of the shop, the, uh, the great Pangolin... Four by four up there in uh, beautiful Oregon. What's uh, what's on the floor these days? What are you guys working on? Uh, I've got a 1953 Series One 80 inch that uh, we're doing kind of a patina restoration. You know, mm-hmm. so we're starting to strip that down, clean all of the body panels, and uh, dig into the mechanical stuff. Um, you know, get rid of the. Uh, steering box problems and you know all those issues completely rebuild the motor so the outside's going to look original underneath you know fully restored uh so that'll be a nice one i'm kind of excited about that truck i've got a 1957 it's a a red series one oh yeah 88 mm-hmm. and uh that one um doing the motor on right now two liter engine full rebuild on that uh original paint that's going to be a a nice car i like those red series ones uh not you know for some reason the fire engines i'm not excited about you know it doesn't i don't really get the uh i feel bad taking all the fire 
gear off of it. Mm, yeah, right. Yeah. But if you don't take the fire gear off, it's not a very useful car. It's just no. Like, it's silly. Yeah, it's real silly to have uh, all that stuff. But fun. I mean, if you've got no, you know, especially if you need to put out a small fire, then you're you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. But I, I guess I don't need a bunch of hose reels and water tanks and you know all this other stuff, PTO pumps and these sorts. of I mean, of until things. you do need all that stuff, then you'll wish that uh, that you. The siren, it. though, I would I would keep the siren. You know, siren. I had for a very short time an ambulance and a decommissioned ambulance that uh, I, of course, legally was supposed to take off the sirens and the lights and everything, but didn't. And uh, you know, it, it, nothing quite as fun as. Uh, as as the whooping the siren through a bit of a traffic jam or something and and having him uh, wave you uh through you know that's always a that's always a good time illegal very illegal uh you know and plausible deniability over whether that is an actual uh, fact or not and of course never on a public street but uh but the sound uh, the sound of a land rover ambulance siren is not going to is not going to convince anyone that it's an no. actual emergency no. No, it, no, it, not at it all. It just—it sounds like you're squeezing a duck. It's a very it, European sounding. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah, 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 it, yeah. And it's—it's it's not super loud. It's—it's—it's it's, um, it's more of a klaxon. Yeah, it's true. It is. Yeah, it's not a big. Uh, it's not a big deal. So I actually had no Land Rover related things going on. Uh, the last couple of days here in the shop, I've decided that, you know, I have from time to time the need to do a little bit of sandblasting. Uh, I usually send big stuff out because, you know, I don't have, you know, a backyard or something or a whatever to sandblast in. So, but little things, you know, I'll sandblast. And I, like many people, are stricken with a very cheap Harbor Freight uh, sandblasting cabinet that uh, leaks and the gun doesn't work properly and, the, you know, any, any number of problems. And there's a gentleman on uh, eBay uh, that sells upgrade kits for these Harbor Freight uh, sandblasters. And I did some reorganizing the shop a couple weeks ago, moved some stuff around, and it's... it's Is there, wait, wait I, I have a quick question. Is yes. it just a better sandblaster? Yeah, it's just a better sandblaster. The yeah, kit, the whole the thing. Kit. It just comes, you just get a new sandblaster. <laughs> no, I'm sure that by the time I had done all this work, certainly the time I put into it, I could have bought a much better sandblaster. Um, but it's one of these things where, you know, sure I could have, but, uh, you know. There's, uh, a, there's a rule of thumb with Harbor Freight stuff, right? If you're going to use it more than twice, don't buy it from Harbor Freight. Don't buy it for Harbor Freight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if, always buy the X amount dollar more expensive one because they sell like the one that is, you know, I don't know, $50 and the one that's, 20, you know, 25 bucks more expensive. Always buy the $25 more expensive, even if you're only planning on using it two or three times because the, the, the $25 cheaper one will break before you get the first time done is usually how it goes. I, I bought a uh, a can of penetrating oil from Harbor Freight recently, and I mm -hmm. got it home, and I realized it was WD thirty. <laughs> Wasn't actually penetrating oil. It uh, it was uh, it didn't it didn't penetrate. It, yeah. it, it just didn't work. I didn't even know that was a thing. WD thirty. Yeah. No, well, there you have it. So so back to the sandblaster. Uh, yeah, is it better? Uh, it's under, it's still under construction. As I started, uh, doing upgrades, I decided, oh, I'm going to put in better lights. I'm going to change the way the electrical works on it. So now, I mean, it's, it's, 
I might as well have just folded up a new, uh, you know, tin box with a door on the side because at this point there's very little Harbor Freight uh, left. It's, uh, you know, it's more machine than man now. Uh, there is a, uh, you know, there's a little bit of, of the Harbor Freight frame left, but I've made new aluminum panels for the front for new inlets and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, like anything, uh, like any good project, uh, we've gone completely overboard on the stupid sandblaster. The thing that needed to be sandblasted, still sitting idle, waiting for the sandblaster to be put back together. But, uh, you know, hopefully uh, over the course of this week and into next weekend, we'll get it. We'll get it done. What do you what do you look for in a sandblaster? You know, uh, this one specifically is pedal operated. So this changes from the trigger operated to a pedal operated. I'm always a big fan of the pedal operated uh, sandblaster. This one is a side a side enter. I don't like the side enter that much. I like the front to open up like a DeLorean sort of so that you can put things kind of in that way. Um, I have in the past have trouble with the seals on those going and they just sort of blow out everywhere and and, and they're a little harder to manage. But man, from a loading unloading standpoint, getting big things in there, so much easier to just sort of set them down and then close the lid on them. You know, I, I have a side entry sandblasting cabinet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's probably two feet by three feet by two mm-hmm. feet, something like that. Yep. And um, one thing I find is the side entry is fine because if I put something in there that's too big, then I'm unable to manipulate it or move it around. Right, right. You know? Right. Yeah. So, so it's a good you, point. If, it's a natural limiter. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be able to manipulate it, move it around so that you can actually blast all of the surfaces and uh, the clamshell ones I have had problems sealing as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. the one I have now has a big filter unit on the back yeah. of it yeah. and, and a little vibrator on the filter so that when you're ready to change the element, you turn the vibrator on and it actually shakes the filter element and it oh. all, all the dust settles at the bottom and then it's, it makes it much easier to, to clean it. That is a very fancy. I have uh, that's one of the upgrades that I'm doing is putting in a swirl uh, style media separator so that uh, I can uh, sort of clean up the air and the thing a little bit better. It's previously just been kind of a very cheap sort of filter with the uh, you know hooked up to the shop back kind of a kind of an operation. So this is going to a much higher tech uh, cyclonic media separator, which is grafted onto the top of a Home Depot bucket, of course, but. Uh, what do you uh, what do you use for media? I have uh, that black aggregate material. That's most of this black oxide uh, aggregate material that I use for most uh, for most stuff. Uh, I've got some walnut shells uh, that I use for like brass and stuff like that. And then I actually don't have any sand for it. I don't actually know too many folks who use a sand. Um, but then I also have some. I have a soda uh, system that will now plug into. Uh, this cabinet. So previously, my soda blasting has been a separate operation entirely that I'll usually just do out in the parking lot and then wash the wash the soda away. Uh, now I'll be able to do it in here. I'll be able to plug it in there. And uh, so for really delicate things, I can use the soda blaster. I just use nickel slag on everything. Mm-hmm. It just just eats it away. Yeah, just, it's great. Just skip the crushed garnet and get straight onto nickel slag. Yeah, just so go completely to just old pennies. Just uh, modified to run completely on old old pennies. Just so I have a sandblasting story, uh, which is uh, it, I'll make it brief. But um, 
I, uh, I took a chassis to have it galvanized one time and I had acid dipped it mm-hmm. and the place I took it, um, I brought it in and there was like a new director and he was like, look, you know, I don't know. I don't care what you've done in the past. You have to have everything sandblasted that you bring us. And I had driven, I don't know, three hours to this place. And I was like, I can't really drive home and then drive back another six hours of driving sandblasted, blah, blah, blah. I said, is there a place that you have a relationship with nearby that, that blasts things for you? And you know, this is a big uh, galvanizing plant, so it's a pretty industrial part of town. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, yeah, go down to the boatyard, you know, in Portland. And uh, there's, a, there's a place that we have blast things and they can sort you out. So I call him up and I said, hey, I got this chassis. I'm looking to have it sandblasted. Can I uh, drop it off with you? And then you take it to the galvanizer with your next load that, that you would be bringing them anyway. And they said, sure, no problem, bring it down. So I, I take it down there on a trailer and I, I pull up and it's a you know massive facility, you know, built in like 1939 to like build battleships or something. I don't know. Yeah. So I talked to the guy and he's like, yeah, we have an industrial blast wheel. Which sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does sound awesome. <laughs> and I wasn't sure what I, I, I was picturing in my mind at the time. And uh, I, I said, okay, well, how long do you think this will take? And he's like, oh, we can do it while you wait. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wait around for like, you know, hours while you sandblast this thing. And he's like, no, 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 you don't <laughs> understand. You don't understand. This is this is not going to take long at all. This is not a big job. And this is like a 109 chassis. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, uh, well, how long do you think it'll take? And he said, well, I'll tell you our hourly rate first. It's $500 an hour. And I was like, that seems like a lot, you know, for sandblasting. And he said, yeah, but it's only going to take like five minutes. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, all right, I'm sold. I got to see this. So they take the chassis off with a crane. They load it on a conveyor belt, right? And... Uh, he fires up this machine and it's like the wrath of God and a big pile of fighter jets, you know, (laughs) and that's the type of noise that it's making. Right. And so they put the chassis on the conveyor belt and it, it, it very slowly incrementally moves into these, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like a a slit curtain, you know, the first layer. Yeah. 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 First layers like plastic and then canvas and then chains, and then some other plastic yeah at any rate so it goes in there and uh this thing is whirring and and it just looks like a a massive machine but it kind of looks like a big pizza oven is kind of what it looks like. oh yeah right so it goes into this thing and it's got shot so steel it uses steel shots so tiny little tiny little bbs and um it it just incrementally moves in there and i would say it, it strips the entire chassis down to white metal in in under five minutes it took like four minutes that's amazing and it has like a big auger underneath that recycles all of the shot you know Mm -hmm. so they can they can reuse it and it comes out the other side and it's like perfectly gleaming clean and and there's like two spots of like undercoating or Mm -hmm. something you know and he's like uh he's like oh we missed a spot and he runs it back through it takes like two minutes 
So the whole process took, I would say, from from unloading it off the trailer to the time it was done, maximum 15 minutes. Wow. It was incredible. That is incredible. It was incredible. And the whole time I was just thinking if I was a super villain, I would put my enemies in that machine. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that wouldn't be a pleasant place to yeah, uh, just, to hang out. Yeah. Just just like put them in a cage and just roll them through, you know. They talk. Yeah. You they bring talk. the uh you bring the uh the 110 full of uh freshly serial killed bodies to that uh, giant uh, wheel blaster and there you go. You don't need a, a farm full of pigs to get rid of them. You just uh, bead blast them away, and they're gone. I think this is taking a dark turn. Let's yeah. uh, let's let's <laughs> move let's move on. All right. Let's so move. so uh, a segment uh, we're gonna try out. Uh, I thought maybe uh, we'll see how it goes. Is the old question the uh, the uh, age old question of uh, do you fix it or do you replace it? Okay. It's, All right. And so I thought I here's a here's a uh, here's a question for you. Um, you've got a uh, you know a problem in your uh, electrical system in let's say a series uh, Land Rover. It's a uh, let's say a series three, so it has an alternator. Alternators for a uh, series three not particularly exotic, not particularly uh, expensive. You'd think that's that's uh, that's probably the problem. That's probably what it is. Do you fix it or do you uh, do you replace it? So the the question is, if the vehicle's not charging, do you replace the alternator? Is that the yeah? Question? Maybe maybe the vehicle's not charging. So the vehicle is charging. Do you replace it? The vehicle is maybe intermittently charging. Intermittently charging. It's a hypothetical. Hypothetical. I mean, typically, I'm the type of person that likes to figure out what the problem is before I start just replacing parts at random. So uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say fix it. You fix it. How big of a deal is it to uh, to rebuild it? You say because what an alternator for a series three is a couple hundred dollars, maybe a hundred and hundred and fifty, probably not even a couple hundred. I might not be like the average person in this particular case, um, but I have like four hundred diodes for those uh, <laughs> new old stock. Right. And <laughs> I have probably three hundred armatures, and uh, you know. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a lot of rebuild parts for those particular alternators. If you don't have a museum of uh, of alternator uh, rebuild uh, kits, uh, then uh, well, fair enough. I I actually I tend to agree with you. I think uh, rebuilding uh, things like that pretty easy to rebuild um, and not exceptionally expensive to get the rebuild parts for it. Um, but then again, you know, it's, it's one of those things uh, having just spent, uh, I think I'm up to $45 in idle air inlet, uh, servos now for uh, my defender finally found a, a $15 one that does in fact work and didn't just break into two pieces. And it's, it's this is where I, now, this but. is where I tease you for having a idle air control museum. <laughs> I do. If you want a couple of spare ones, I have a whole, I uh, yeah, I have a I whole. Don't. A whole plethora of them. Your one ten will eventually need one. They all they all do. Uh, so now I, I have the I have the exact Amazon link to get one that doesn't break into two pieces when you try to install it. So it take it took breaking. I test broke one of them uh, because I knew. I knew it was going to go sideways on me, so I applied a bit of torque to it in the soft jaws of the vice, and sure enough, broke right away. This one held up to that test. Completely intentional. Then... <laughs> Completely <laughs> intentional. 
<laughs> I intentionally broke it just to make. I mean, ten. This one was ten dollars. It was even cheaper. So I figured for ten dollars, I'm going to give it a little stress test just to see: Am I way off on this? Is this something that I'm, I'm I, doing? I, I, I'm so glad we have Stephen Barris out there testing these parts for us, giving this 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 invaluable information. Day or night, I will be out there testing the super cheap Amazon sourced uh, Air Idle servos. Uh, so that you don't have to. That's uh, the public service that I uh, provide uh, to to the community. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. I I got I got a fixer replace for you. Yes, sir. Okay. Tire mm-hmm. with a nail one inch above the tread. So so mm-hmm. in the sidewall. Yeah, nice sidewall. But but down towards the tread. You got mm. a nail there. Is it a you, is it a uh, is it a radial tire? <clears throat> sure, most people use radial tires. We'll say it's, it's a, a radial, radial tire. tire. So here's my here's my uh, thinking on uh, tire punctures in general. If you can plug it, uh, always plug it. And this is my this is my this is my like my uh deeply seated feeling towards all things let's just say this happens to be an off-road situation where it, you know if i'm going on a big long trip i'll actually take two spares with me coming from canada we, we usually carry two spares um so i'll have one on the hood and one on the back door and or one on the roof and one on the back door whatever depending on the car so i i i subscribe to the uh always plug it um before you change it because you can have a tire full of 500 plugs, a tire made almost entirely of plugs, um, and still have a spare. And then you have, you know, you still have a spare. So if the sidewall rips open completely, gets completely destroyed, you still have your spare. Uh, versus if you have changed it immediately, as soon as you get a, a puncture of, of some kind, then you don't have a spare anymore, or you've gone through both of your spares, and you don't have a spare anymore. Um, so, you know, I tend to think, fix it in the short term, and then see if it's a sidewall puncture, you know, depending on how bad it is, that might be something that you're going to have to replace. But certainly in the short term, I personally subscribe to the, you know, keep jamming plugs in that thing until it uh, until it seals up. And uh, and if you can get it to seal and hold pressure, then uh, you're in good shape. You still have a spare. Otherwise, you know, you're 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 kind of done uh, because as soon as you use that spare, as soon as you put that spare on, then uh, you know your options for forward progress become much more limited. What do you think, Ike? Well, uh, this reminds me of a story um, uh, about a guy that I I took a trip with. Is a Land Rover trip. We went down to Arizona to get a bunch of Land Rover parts. And these were all his parts, and I was helping him. And he was kind of a, a Land Rover importer and dealer in spares in the, like maybe the late seventies and eighties. And he had this big hoard of parts inside a stored in a junkyard in Arizona. And he was, uh, I will diplomatically say, a very resourceful person. Mm-hmm. He he bought his entire wardrobe at swap meets, and uh, he would never ever ever go to a tire store and buy a new tire. He might go to a tire store to rummage through their dumpster for used tires <laughs> right. that they had discarded. <laughs> so so we took uh, three trucks and three trailers, me and a buddy and this fellow, uh, and we all drove down to Arizona in these three, um, four diesel pickup trucks that he had and three trailers. And uh, this has been a really long time ago. I'm going to say 15 years ago. And uh, at the time, uh, this fellow, he he... 
he brought 26 spare tires. I am not exaggerating. <laughs> he brought 26 spare tires and and six gallons of oil, which which one of the trucks used in its entirety. And uh, we used every spare tire except one. He, he had it dialed. His program was tight because he knew exactly how many spares we would need for a 3,000-mile trip. And uh, we used them all, and we had one left over. <clears throat> that is hilarious. Um, when I brought there, my camel... Uh, hmm? uh, I'm sorry. The, I was just going to say, this this guy, there could be a tire store. Like, he could be in the parking lot of a tire store. He would not pay them $5 to dismount a tire. He would sit there for two hours, like, beating on it with a bead axe to, to, <laughs> to remove the tire himself. Extremely frugal person. And uh, to the point where it was like... It was great to be around him because he yeah. would always pick the the hardest possible way to save a dime. Yeah, to, to, to save a tiny bit of money. No, it's funny, hey, because you, you kind of, again, it's the something about uh, Landovers that attracts a particular individual. But um, Chris uh, and I were bringing my Camel Trophy truck down from Vancouver, and it uh, we decided to make, again, probably – Probably a three thousand ish mile journey, maybe not quite that far, um, or maybe slightly farther. I don't know. On the tires that it sat in its crate on its way over from France, that it had been probably on those same tires for I don't know how long, all the way down to uh, all the way down to um, you know to Vancouver. So it sat you know, the Panama Canal, the whole deal sat in that crate for months. Finally got to Vancouver, got it out of its crate, um, and decided, you know, we'll we'll just go ahead and drive it down to California on these tires. They looked okay. And we started every morning uh, by putting on the spare tire uh, that we had procured the day before and only had the one spare. And so we would put on the spare and basically immediately go to a tire store and be like, we just need a, we just need a tire to get us – you know, back to California and they're like, okay, well we have this one. It kind of is the right size. And okay. So take that. Okay, fine. Of course we would come out the next morning and one of the other tires would be totally flat. And so, okay, we'd have to, you know, we didn't have a patch kit or anything. Okay. Put on the other spare tire. So we spent two days, uh, three days, basically just going from tire store to tire store down the West coast, uh, replacing one shitty spare tire at a time so that we could get all the way back to, uh, all the way back to California. Because I, I had a set of the correct Michelin tires for it, but of course here in California, not uh, not in Vancouver. I was going to ship them to Vancouver. It didn't make any sense. Why? You know who would do but it, that? But it but it makes sense to spend two days in tire stores. You're <laughs> as bad as that other guy. I, it's it's I, almost the same. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's true. It's the exact same. If I would have just brought a patch kit with me, although I don't even think it was that. I think it's that the the tires were so old and rotten. Um, you know, once they had run a little bit, the bead just gave out on on one tire at a time. Thankfully, we never lost more than one tire at a time. And we only had to drive on a mostly flat tire for, you know, a couple of miles at most before we found uh, an opportunity. Well, the first thing we had to do was go first to I think we go to Lowe's to get a jack because there were no tools in the car at all. And so we're like, okay, well, the tire's flat. There's a spare on the back. Let's change it. Oh, wait, there's no tools. Let's go get some tools. So we're super prepared. Super prepared. I'm not going on a trip with you. Remind me. <laughs> remind me to not go on a trip with you. Well, I've had a great time this week, Stephen. How about you? 
And as have I, I always a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to uh, to the next one. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up with uh, you again soon on the Underpowered Hour. Thanks. See you next week. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 